Hello, freedom fairies of the world. Welcome back to another Macro Magic with Michelle. I am your host, Michelle Williams, also known as the Freedom Fairy on TikTok, YouTube, and Patreon. I am coming at you today with a really awesome interview. It's going to be split up into two parts with a fabulous lady named Julie Tara. She is a pioneer in the health, natural healing area. She has an amazing story starting from when she was a child growing up with really intense situations with family members who were mentally ill and who went the route of western medicine and she decided that is not for me and she also had an amazing career as a ballet dancer and she also is really in tune with the fairy spirits so all of these things I connect with her on and I really believe that her experience and her wisdom and her love that she's bringing to the world is so so needed right now and for everyone listening I know so many people out there listening are younger people just so you know these problems that are so common today Julie went through and how I connected with her was because I was a fan of hers when I was looking for other macrobiotic people I was just searching on social media all the different platforms whoever seemed like they were into macrobiotics you know mutual friends um had something about said something about macrobiotic in their profile said something about the kushi institute um if i recognized their last names or their names from books that i've read so julie tara i recognized from there's a popular teacher in macrobiotics named bill tara and so i was fangirling <laughs> that i found a bill tara's one of his um ex-wives and i was really excited to follow her and when i followed her i found out she was a ballet dancer once again very excited to hear that and i never talked to her i never reached out to her because i really and i and i'm just still kind of getting over this i really felt who I asked my question myself this question who am i who am i to think that i'm a part of this amazing community i didn't go to the kushi institute i'm not certified in macrobiotics in any way that's still something i i really want to do but i just felt like i'm just a young 
a young person who doesn't really know about macrobiotics. I'm really excited to learn, but I, like I said, I saw all these names in the books I was reading, and these books I hold with high regard because they helped me heal, and I just felt just not worthy to even just talk to these people, and a few years later, I was, I felt more included in the macrobiotic community, and, and Julie Tara actually reached out to me, and I was going through my Saturn's return, everyone out there that knows about that, um, it's a shift in your life that makes you question a lot of things, and especially me, it had me questioning my career, and that was a, a really difficult struggle to leave my job and not knowing what else I was going to do and then figuring out, okay, I'm going to be a healer. But also, what does that look like? I need more training. I don't, you know, just so many things. And Julie, we had a conversation and she really spoke hope and faith and belief in me. It was like, it was, an, it was a moment I never expected. I had been a fan of hers for years, never talked to her, felt like she was a celebrity to me. And then she reaches out to me, <laughs> and she wants to connect with me. And then, not only that, she's trying to build me up. She's trying to encourage me to continue to pursue whatever I want to pursue and to tell me I am worthy of my dreams and that was just such an amazing thing especially because we did connect on so many different parts of our of our stories of our lives and it just really she left a big impression on me and I hope that she will leave a big impression on all of you listening she's an amazing spirit Please enjoy this interview. Julie Tara, part one. All right, so we have Julie Tara here today. I'm so happy that she's on here talking to us on macro magic with michelle so i already kind of introduced you julie in my introduction and i want to go ahead and get started with these questions um the first question is kind of an intense question but i think you can handle it what is your experience with mental illness that is an intense question. And uh, I grew up with a mother who was very ill, first physically, and then started declining on all levels. She was taking a lot of medications. She was also sleeping on an electric blanket, which is the worst thing you could do. And she just declined further and further until she was labeled with all these labels from bipolar to schizophrenia to manic depression to paranoid manic depression, you know, and, and that's what I witnessed. And then a lot of mental health um, 
hospitals and a lot of electric shock treatment that made her forget wow. us and become like a zombie. So what I saw was this incredibly talented, you know, concert level pianist, top actress, film star. Also, she was in film, singer, Parnan, you know, like an amazing singer, like understudy Julie Andrews. She was brilliant. Wow. But I saw that decline. And I kept sort of asking, you know, why? <laughs> and I kept watching and looking and observing. And and so I have some very definite thoughts about all that now. And then my sister also kind of went the same route because I think she was imprinted with that idea. And so she also uh, is classified with bipolar and is on a lot of medications. Oh, even now? Even now, and my father, who's a doctor, said, you're probably going to get this too. And I said, absolutely no way. How dare you? How dare you give me that prognosis? Because he was like, oh, it's genetic and this and that. And I was like, no, it isn't. And I'll pr prove it to you, you know. And so my feisty fairy side said, no, no, no. There's much more to this than meets the eye. Yes, that sounds a lot like me too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so with this experience, like growing up, what advice would you give to those struggling with mental illness today? Well, I think it's really a misnomer because <clears throat> we're really not just a mind or a brain. We're a whole spirit, body, mind system. Mm -hmm. And when we experience unusual states mental states it's it's it could be very good as in I just yeah. read Van Gogh exhibit the other day and and when you really look at his work you're like he was a mystic he yeah. was an absolute mystic but misunderstood in his time but what was he showing in his paintings quantum physics he was showing how stars really move and how everything moves mm. in spiral form and so was he really mentally ill or was he actually just far more conscious than many, very awake? So I think that with you, one has to be so careful with all these diagnoses that um, actually, fundamentally, it's a disconnect from who you truly are and from nature itself. And the important critical thing is to reconnect in many different ways. And then, you know, we could talk about those ways. Um, but, you know, fundamentally, it's it's knowing that you are a spiritual being having a human experience, that your consciousness yeah. might be far more expanded than others. You know, even like listening to voices. Look at William Blake. He heard voices all the time. So did Shakespeare. So did many, many great artists. You know, they were hearing voices. Was that yes. schizophrenia? I, I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so. But, you know, sometimes we're so disconnected that we get to a place where we really do need help. But I think the real help is in, you know, getting your right diet together, getting out in nature every single day, the sun and the earth and the, you know, and the air. And you've got to be connected because we are nature. And yes. If we're disconnected, we just go into this ego mental trip, this mind trip. And it, it, it's a loop and it trips us up. So I I can be pretty feisty about this issue, I have to say, because I saw my mother, yeah, I don't want to cry, but, you know, she really lost her life because she gave her power to Western medicine, 
what I would call the healthcare industry, I would call the sick care industry. She gave her life because she didn't trust herself enough. And she was very spiritual. She didn't trust herself enough. So she just gave this power over to doctors all the time. And what did they do? They just put her on more and more and more and more drugs. And what did that do? That just took her down a tunnel that she ultimately couldn't get out of. So she lost her life that way. It was a long time till she died, but she died long before she physically left the body. Yeah, very hard to see, very, very hard with the person I loved the most in the entire world. Thank you so much, Julie, for sharing this. This is exactly one of the biggest reasons why I felt so connected to you when I heard you talk about this um, in other people's videos. I I really connected with with that whole situation, you know, with myself going through my mental health journey and realizing later that exactly what you said was it really that I was something was really wrong with me or was it just that I was very sensitive and aware of different things coming towards me but I just didn't know how to handle it as well as I wasn't connected to who I really was and the natural environment and you know all these things so I think this is a huge part of what you're here to share with the world is this experiencing your knowledge about it. Yes, and you know, our world right now is antithetical to our health, to our mental well-being. Mm -hmm. Just EMF frequencies alone throw us off <laughs> because we're electrical beings. And those frequencies that, you know, Wi-Fi and everything that we're blessed to use right now so we can reach the world, but has a, an, a deficit to it. Those, those things throw us off completely, especially our nervous system, right? You know, we're, and, and our thinking, which is actually outside of yeah. the brain. It isn't just in the brain. I mean, it is in the yeah. brain, but it's also outside. You know, it gets really affected by those things. So simple things like turning your Wi-Fi off at night, huge, makes a huge difference to your mental well-being, you know? So yeah, I'm super passionate about this. Yes, and I know you you have some other tools to help with that. And we'll talk about it later. Um, and I'm interested to learn more as well. Um, but so kind of going back to the mental health and one of the things that a lot of people are going towards today when we, when they talk about, you know, healing, um, what they think is healing, maybe their mental illness. Medication is a huge Part and um, a lot of a lot of people today they think um, anything that's said against medication is a stigma. When in reality, I don't think today there's such a stigma against medication. I think it's the the true documented side effects that are clearly stated on the bottles of the medication. And I can say from my own experience, because when I took medication, there was clearly a stigma. I didn't even know, like, what is anxiety? I didn't really know. And so all my friends, you know, I was around. They saw me taking medication. I was the only one taking medication. So 
I think a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, there was a stigma. But today, I think it's almost like a popular thing. Like, I have this mental illness. Yeah, let me take medication. It's fine. But I know from your experience as well that it's not as fine and, um, you know, okay as people are thinking it is today. So my question is, what is your thoughts on people taking medication for their mental illness? Well, it's, it's a big question. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I don't think I would ever have the right to just say you should not be on medication or you don't need medication. There are some situations, I think, that probably do call for that for a short period of time mm-hmm. uh, if somebody's really out of balance to such a great degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, there's so many other things that can be done. And, and since I work with frequency, right, energy, everything is energy. I would say, let's look at the frequencies, you know, of, of those medications and the, what are called side effects, I would say are effects. Mm-hmm. They're called side effects and they're mm-hmm. scary. As we yeah. all see, if you ever watch television and you see, you know, you see, and the side effects, and then they speak them very, very fast. And <laughs> a lot of them are suicidal, suicidal thoughts or homicidal thoughts or, you know, ideation or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, the very thing you're taking it for, it could create, you know. And I yeah. think because ultimately we are brilliantly made. We are divinely orchestrated. And to think that we have the... It's such a notion to think we can manipulate the brilliance of you and how you think. I think it's so arrogant. Yeah. So arrogant. And if you look back to the the past and to true medicine, you look at, you know, Hippocrates. Well, first of all, Hippocratic Oath is first do no harm. Is that what's going on now? So, you know, (laughs) it's like... You know, let's look at that. Let's look at the, you know, you talked about the four temperaments, right? And how to, you know, nature is your medicine and let food be thy medicine and all of this. And so I think it's been a long time coming, this entrainment, and it has come mostly through advertising, this slow entrainment, but very specifically focused entrainment of people conditioning that Mm -hmm. how you deal with an imbalance is you take a drug. Yeah. Now, this started in the early 1900s, really. You know, when we used to have all the hospitals, even in America, were homeopathic. The royal family in England still uses homeopathic treatment, mm. medication for their issues. They, it doesn't mean they never use what's called allopathic medicine. They use it when they need to, but generally they go to homeopathy first. But that was ousted out by Rockefeller. And, you know, it was very, yeah. it was very designed. You know, we're going to, if you can't prove it, if you can't prove the efficacy of your treatments through the instrumentation of the day, which wasn't very sophisticated, so it couldn't pick up frequencies, light, and all the, you know, vibration, then you can't teach it in medical schools. That was the way they got in. And slowly they Mm. shut down all the homeopathic hospitals, all the homeopathic doctors, and and allopathy took over. And then slowly, slowly, allopathy took over further and further with drugs. Why? Because they can patent or patent drugs mm-hmm. and make a lot of money. So you have to look at where the money is. You've yeah. got to follow the money trail. And, you know, my dad being a very famous doctor at UCLA, he saw it coming. He, at the end of his career, he said, Julie, this is not what I signed up for. Wow. 
Oh, yes. He said, it's all about the money now. At UCLA, top doctor. Like when he died, they pulled the flag down to half-mast because he was so honored there. Started the Department of Medical Ethics, started the Department of Psychoneuroimmunology. I mean, he was a real big wig in that world, but he was so disenchanted by the end. But I saw it as a child. I saw it as a very, very little girl. I remember the day my mom said, I remember, well, actually, I walked in, I was I think I was four, and I said, Mommy, I can't sleep in the night. And she said, here, darling, and she gave me half a sleeping pill. What the heck? I was four years old, couldn't sleep, probably just needed a cuddle, you know. I've always been a big dreamer, probably had a bad dream. She gave me it, and I, I said, thank you, Mommy, and I took it out, and I took it to the toilet, and I threw it down the toilet. Wow. Yes. Because I was like, I don't know what's in that little half white pill, but I'm watching you, mommy, and you're not doing well. And you take a lot of those pills. Oh my gosh. Wow. I think sometimes we need medications. I'm not going to say we never do. We need allopathic medicine. You know, when we have a, a, you know, a real issue like break our arm or something, we need, you know, we're bleeding, hemophiliac, whatever we need. Sometimes we need medications, but the fact that it's considered normal now, and I've been talking to quite a few of my friends who say, oh yeah, every boyfriend I've ever gone out with has been on, you know, medication for anxiety or whatever. I'm like, are you kidding me? I would not (laughs) go out with somebody who is on medication like that. That's for me, that's a no, no. That's like a, a absolute, you know, yeah, because if, if if they can't trust their own negotiation of their body, mind, spirit and do things that will be not harm them and they're doing something like that, then why would I trust them yeah. in a relationship of all things? Yeah. So, and that might sound really judgmental and I don't mean it that way. I think it's not people's fault. It's that they've been entrained. Mm-hmm. They've been very systematically trained to think that a pill is the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they've got an upset tummy or, you know, whatever, or they've got menstrual cramps and they think a pill is the answer. It, yeah. It's been daily indoctrinated into them since they were young. So, I'm, I'm, you know, it's not their fault. And we need to really think. Yeah. We need to think about, you know, who am I and what am I doing? And these side effects are not side effects. They are effects. Yeah. And, um, you know, mind, body, spirit is very complex in a way, but also very simple. So to think that we can manipulate the mind and, and be happier and well, truly well, I don't think, I don't think drugs is the way to do that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And I think um, just total, total health, because a lot of people, when you say like any, anything against, um, you know, medication, when it specifically when it comes to mental health, then people are like, well, what else am I supposed to do? They have like, it's almost like all they know is take medication. And I mean, when I was young and I first started taking medication, that's all I knew. I didn't, I didn't think food has any effect, sleep and stress. I didn't think any of that was a part or could help. So, um, so let's, you know, maybe talk a little bit more (laughs) about these other aspects. Um, 
But before we kind of go into the, the other aspects that um, that could help us, um, I first want to talk to you about what was your experience in the ballet world? Oh, well, that's something we have in common. You and I have quite a lot in common. And as I watch you and listen to you, I'm like, she's so charming. She's just so charming. You're such a fairy spirit. You really are. And I know you love to dance and I also love to dance. So yeah, you know, when I was very little, I started ballet at three years old. I really always loved to dance. I loved being physical. I loved movement. So I would dance around the sitting room all the time. My mother would play her piano or she'd be singing and I would just be dancing, you know? So it came very naturally to me. And uh, and so I started then and started performing at a young age, about seven, six, seven, eight years old and started having, you know, <clears throat> good roles and whatever. <clears throat> and then when I was 10, I left home to go to the Royal Ballet School. And I was uh, in boarding school at the Royal Ballet School in Richmond Park in, in London for five years and then another three years on top of that at the upper school. And the Royal Ballet, uh, you know, is, you know, at the time anyway, was, was one of the top three companies in the world, you know. So <clears throat> every little girl wants to be a ballerina and many little girls and boys wanted to be dancers and wanted to go to the Royal Ballet. The Royal Ballet School only had 125 students from all over the world. So I didn't know how difficult it was going to be even to get in, but I just knew I was supposed to go. I knew it was my school. The first, when I first saw it, my mom said, that's the Royal Ballet School. And I looked at it and it's an old white, it's beautiful, it's called White Lodge. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful royal house. And I said, that's my school. Yeah, that's just it. I knew it. And so after the eight years and dancing with the Royal Ballet and the Royal Opera, I ended up going to Dutch National Ballet Company because they were a little bit more modern. They were a little bit more edgy. It wasn't modern dance, but it was like more modern ballet. And I really liked that. And I had seen them in London uh, and I loved the choreography. And I was like, that's the company I really want to be in. So the Royal Ballet was enormous. Dutch National was smaller, but also very well known and very, you know, respected. And so I went there and, you know, my experience with ballet is, of course, it's a beautiful thing to do. It's incredibly hard work. You dance all day long for hours and hours a day, you know, but I had the discipline and it, it taught me discipline as well. And that wasn't hard because I loved it, you know, so and, and it's gorgeous. I mean, let's face it, Swan Lake, you know, I was often one of the little swans, little four signets. And, you know, you've got your swan feathers on and your tutu and it's, it's beautiful. And, you know, you feel like a swan. I mean, it's very shamanic, yeah. actually, because I used to feel like literally I would transform into a swan. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, and that's just one ballet, right? But um, I loved it. And then there were things I, I didn't love. Um, so we, you know, we can go into that if you want. But I think that the fact that I wanted to express joy, express, you know, fairy spirits, we'll talk about that, I know, you know, I very, you know, want to express joy and, and light and love. Yeah. And, and it was a marvelous way for me to do that. And it sort of got me out of the household where my mother was definitely very, very sick, you know, and uh, was pretty scary with her at times because of the effects of the drug she was on. Um, so I think, the universe kind of plucked me out of the home to put me in a safe, I'll say quasi-safe, quasi-safe. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I so resonate, like, especially that last part, you know, I thought 
to me, um, like I, I was, I felt like I was always grown, growing up in my mental illness before I even knew something was, you know, was wrong with me. Um, but um, I, I really did feel when I first started dancing, like it was an escape. I really felt like I was going to a different world. You know, like you said, you transformed into the swan. I really felt like I was in another world when I danced. And I probably, you know, we know about, you know, the different realms. And so I probably was in a different world when I danced. And that, I guess, was the first opening for me to see, like, there's a different, like, a different, there's like a reason for me to live. There's something exciting for me to, you know? So, um, yeah. And, um, let's let's talk a little bit more about like if you thought that the ballet world being a part of that if that made your mental health your physical health if it made it worse in some ways or if it made it better in other ways yeah it's a great question um well, you know, ballet is so disciplined and it's very critical. So the teachers, very, very critical. And, and I do remember that. And I remember at, at about 12 years old, my teacher just criticizing me over and over. And I, I burst into tears and I said, why do you keep picking on me? You know, why? I can't do anything right, you know? And she looked at me very puzzled and she said, well, I'll never forget this. She said, Julie, you're the one I think can really make it. You're my English rose. No, I think you can go to the top. This was at the Royal Ballet School. And I looked at her and I said, you'll never get the best out of me if you treat me this way. Mm. So I was 12. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty big. Uh, this came later as well. Yeah, look at outspoken. I've gotten in trouble for that before. I'm sure I will again. Um, but, you know, so what happens is you start, all you start seeing are your mistakes. All you start, you know, it's like whatever you focus on expands. We, 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 right so you, you're focusing on what's wrong with me what's wrong with this picture and you identify with the body a lot so I all I could start seeing in the mirror was what was wrong with me not what was right with me mm-hmm. what that does is it takes you down a s- s- difficult road right and so there was a point where I felt I was 17 and you know, I I grew as as a young woman. Many ballet dancers stay little girls, right? In, in other words, they're flat chested. They often don't get the period that you know, amenorrhea is very common. And uh, and I wasn't like that. You know, at thirteen, I got my period on my thirteenth birthday, and you know, I developed breasts. And I thought this isn't right. This is not what I'm supposed to look like. You know, so I I decided to have my breasts removed. And my stepfather was a doctor and he was supplying my mother with all the drugs and the, you know, heroin derivative drugs and stuff that were making her absolutely crazy. And uh, I said, I, I, you know, I, I want a surgeon. And he said, uh, you know, no problem. He set me up with a surgeon. And the surgeon said, I don't want to do this. You are perfectly made and you won't be able to breastfeed children. I was like, I don't want to have children. I'm a professional ballerina. You know, uh, and he was like, you won't have any sensitivity. And I was like, I don't care. I'm the, this, these are in the way. Yeah. And I was, I can remember how passionate I was in his office to this day. And he just against his better judgment. I know he decided to do it. 
Now, thank goodness, my mother, the best thing she ever did in my life, other than giving me birth and lots of cuddles when I was little, she um, stopped that because I was underage. I wasn't allowed to do, you know, you can't do anything in England until you're after 18, you know, by free will. And she's like, I will not let you be butchered. And I was furious with her. I was like, but mommy, you don't understand. I've got to do this. I'm going to go to the top, you know, like. Yeah. So this is body dysmorphia, right? This is body dysmorphia. Very common with dancers. My boyfriend at the time was like, whatever you want to do, Julie, you know, you do it. That wasn't helpful either. So the men were just going, yeah, yeah, do it. And my mother, no. So I said, on my 18th birthday, I'll be in that hospital. Of course, by the time I turned 18, I'm like, shift, right? You're shifting. You're an adolescent. You're shifting constantly your your perception of the world and, and yourself. And I was like, I don't I don't think I want to have these taken off. I don't think I want them cut off. I, I think I kind of like them. So I did, of course, didn't do it. Thank goodness. And, you know, I have three gorgeous children. I breastfed every single one of them for at least a year mm-hmm. to a year and a half, about a year and a half each one you know, and it was absolute one of the most beautiful things I think I've ever done. So this is a problem. Another problem that comes up is, is competition. It is very highly competitive and you're, and you're competing with women for parts. And I didn't like that. I was very good at games as a child and my family were all highly competitive. And what I noticed very young was when I lost I wasn't happy when I won they weren't happy and because I'm super sensitive and I love everyone being happy that was a problem and and so I stopped playing games I was like I don't like this because if I win I lose if I lose I lose I'm losing you know my my emotional well-being so with ballet it was like that too very competitive and I didn't like it and so I decided I made a huge decision that has really changed my life, which was I'm not going to compete with anyone. I love helping women be beautiful. I love helping women be leaders. I love empowering women. Why would I want to compete with you? It's ridiculous. We all need to come together, sisters, brothers, and empower each other. So I, I, when I made that shift and when I left ballet, I, uh, I really decided no more competition for me. It's not the way I want to live. I don't think it's the way the universe really works in the world nature doesn't really compete with each other you know the tree doesn't yeah. compete with the stream the stream doesn't compete with the earth they all come you know work together in cooperation yeah. so so finally when i left uh, two two things really made me leave one was the director who really loved me and, and again thought i could go all the way to the top was very diminishing and he shamed me in front of a bunch of people. I had a beautiful solo piece with actually with, well, it wasn't really a solo. It was with four men and me, and it was really stunning. And he shamed me in a horrid way. And I just stopped in the rehearsal and I turned to him and I said, nobody speaks to me like that. And I left, I broke my contract and I left and I went back to England. So the other reason I left was that one time, very profound, I'll never forget it. I was, we were in Swan Lake, Swan Lake. We were dancing in a a outside town called Scheveninger. And I was reading a book called Cancer Ward by Solzhenitsyn. And I asked in my heart, I asked the universe, why do we suffer so much? 
And this voice came in and said, your life is about healing. And I remember, I closed the book. It was an amazing moment. And I thought that's, that's true. That's the truth. So that was the other reason I, I knew I had to leave and start a new life. Oh my gosh, Julie. Oh my God. That, that part of your story is so like mine as well. Really? Yeah, I when I was when I knew something was not right in my life and I really felt it was because the industry I was in and I couldn't exactly say like what's wrong here. I mean, I could see things, but I I just felt this is just not right anymore. But then I was like faced with what am I, well, what else am I going to do? I have a bachelor's degree in this. I'm certified in this syllabus. I've done this for the past five years. I'm really good at it. What else am I going to do? And so I was asking myself, asking the universe, what else am I supposed to do? Give me a sign. Give me a message. And it was really like weighing me down every day. I was so depressed. And finally, through the message of someone else, because, you know, sometimes the universe, your angel speaks to you through somebody else. And someone else told me recognized I was going to a health center a holistic health center very consistently during that time because I was so struggling so much and she told me she was an older lady and she had this beautiful spirit I recognized it immediately and um this older lady at the desk told me Michelle I I really, you're my hero. And I immediately started crying because I was like, me? You're my hero. Why are you talking? No. Who am I? You don't even know me. I'm like 20 something years old. What do I, you know? And, and, and she's like, because you care so much about your health. And I was like, I was like, oh, well, yeah, if I don't, I mean, I, she didn't know my whole story, but I was like, if I don't do all this stuff, I'm going to probably end up back in the mental hospital like <laughs> and um she's like you're so sensitive and I was like c- crying I was like yeah clearly and she's like I bet you'd be a great healer and I was like ding that's the message that's the message so oh, I love it. <laughs> and it's so true the most sensitive beautiful beings make wonderful healers and you do that very well Yeah. So did you, um, what it sounds like to me in your, in your story is that you always had this strength within you and it really felt like from hearing you speak, like you knew your worth and your value. You had a strong self-esteem and when other people tried to, you know, maybe break you down or tell you what you were, it wasn't that you were breaking down internally, right? It was that you were just like, no, you were standing up. Is that right? You know, it's really, it's very paradoxical because I have struggled with confidence in different ways. And I think that might be from, I don't know, you know, my childhood with my mom or maybe through the Royal Ballet. But there is some part of me that is very, that I know my sovereignty of being I know my sovereignty of being so if somebody crosses the line 
in a way that is really disrespectful to my sovereignty, I, I will say something usually, you know, or I'll just disconnect. It's like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. You know, life is challenging enough yeah. without without negative people like that in your life, you know? And it was said like with the, with the director of the Dutch National Ballet, Rudy Van Danzig, like I loved him and he loved me, but but that kind of dismissive tone, you know, you're always a girl, never a woman. You're, you know, it's come on girls, come on boys. It's like, what's that when you're, you know, in your twenties? It's like, that's not really very healthy, you know? So it, it was sad in a way, but there was just, yeah, there was some part of me that was just like, I will not have that. Mm -mm. It's the, you know, I mean, I was, engaged for four years to somebody once and you know and and then one day he hit me and I was like oh no oh no that can never ever happen and I left the next day I have never seen him since do you think do you think Julie where do you think that comes from do you think you were just born with that um that sense or do you think you it came from observing other people around you that you decided for yourself that it that you were going to be this way or what how do you think that happened <laughs> never been asked that question <laughs> but I think it's memory I think we forget who we really are but somehow I remembered because I know before I could speak before I could turn when I was about four months I'm guessing old I remember being outside in, in a pram and and I remember the sun coming through the trees and I remember the birds and I I said, oh, oh, I've come here on a mission. I was asked to come and I've agreed. And if it's like this, I like it here. I'm good with this. Oh and my that's gosh. my first memory. Wow. So when they say kids, you know, don't remember anything or don't know much until they're whatever, two, three years, yeah. they know. If they're sentient and they, they, so it's, it's about remembering that truth. So I think knowing that, that I came on a mission, I was asked to come. I did. I wasn't forced. I agreed to come, which made me be a big yes to the world. I came, I agreed to come. So I'm a yes, you know, I'm not a no. I'm not fighting the fact that I was born. I'm not fighting the fact, why am I here? I'm not fighting the fact why I was in this family. Although I'm sure I questioned it because I had two sisters that <laughs> were not very nice ever. Yeah. Um, still to this day, but still, um, I think it's that. I think it's memory. It's, it's mm. being intact in one's truth that, oh, I'm a spiritual being. I came from somewhere else. I came here to help. And that's all good. So when somebody transgresses that place, that's the time when I will be, no, 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 no. It doesn't happen very often, Michelle. I mean, it really doesn't. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, occasionally there are those moments in life where it's just like, oh, yeah, you just went too far on that one. Amazing. That's so amazing. I love, I love it. Um <laughs> And so now we can, oh, um, I was going to ask you just before we leave the topic of dance, what is your relationship with dance today? I love to dance and my relationship with dance is much healthier now than it ever was. I don't really like going to dance classes where I'm told what to do. I think, I think I am just a very kind of, uh, 
autonomous spirit, you know? <clears throat> so I just, I, I love to dance like I used to when I was really little, which was I would go outside and I would dance under the moonlight, under the starlight, you know, on the grass barefoot. And that's how I love to dance. Or I'll go to, um, you know, a rock and roll band and I'll just dance my heart out. And people are like, oh my gosh, you know, you're unstoppable. You're just so full of energy. And it's true. I mean, I get more energy the more I do it. And, and I'm so happy. I'm just so happy to be in this body and experience this body. Like how fun to have a body to dance with, you know? And then <laughs> music is a big catalyst and nature's yeah. a big catalyst for that. And, and you know, it's funny because yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 65 now and people are like, I can't believe you're 65 because you're out there dancing and you'll dance this under the table. And, and I will, you know, not drink them under the table. I will dance them under the table, you know? <laughs> Like, it's just so joyful for me. So I have a, a an ecstatic dance. I love um, ecstatic dance parties and things. Contact improvisation is really fun, although I tend to like to dance mostly alone uh, without the sort of in, you know, without having to negotiate a partner in that. Although in ballet, my favorite thing was pas de deux work with a man because because he could be the strength and the lift for me and then I could be really free and really fly so so yeah I do miss that that was that was my favorite part you know being trained with with Margot Fontaine you know the most famous ballerina in the world at that time you know I do remember all that with Firebird and her training us in the pas de deux and and just the magnificence of it you know and the beauty of of the male female dance like I love that and and yeah, I I do st I love that you know with 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 a lover boyfriend you know I love that that dance. Um, so I have a good healthy relationship with it now. Thank goodness, thank goodness, because a lot of dancers just either uh, become teachers but they never dance or they go away from ballet completely because there's too much too much wounding there. Yeah. At some point, I'll write a book about that. But uh, yeah, for me, I'm like, no, I love to dance. I just don't want to do ballet anymore. It's 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 yeah. a very unusual way to move the body, as you know. It's very very unnatural to use the body in that way. But it is beautiful. There's no doubt about it. It's beautiful. It and it is very fairy like. I mean, there's so many roles in ballet. Blank fairy. You like so many fairies in ballet. There's so many fairies, and I would love to hear if you, when you write a book about, you know your experience in ballet and I, I heard you talk about before like a lot of um you know in other in other realms of healing you know people talk about like trauma being stored in the body and I feel like while there's so many beautiful things about ballet like we're just talking about the joy it brings there's also like so so much like you said overwhelming criticism like comp competition unnecessary competition and I do feel you know even for me today I do feel some of that is probably still stored within me and um, I would just love to hear more you know if you ever write a book I would love to hear more about that I will because there's a lot about shame right mm -hmm. shame and then guilt you know not being better or whatever and and shame and guilt if you study David Hawkins work you know on vibration the lowest vibrations of all are shame and guilt 
We yeah. can't create from there. We create from the highest vibrations, which is love and joy and peace and enlightenment. <clears throat> These are the highest of vibrations. So, and then there's all the range in, in the middle, you know, ton of different emotional states and spiritual states, but shame and guilt are the lowest. And yeah. ballet is a very shaming sport. Yeah. Unfortunately. But I will show you a picture that I grabbed because I knew you would love this. This is when, <gasps> oh, when, my gosh. This is when I was... 12 at the Royal Ballet School and we were doing Midsummer Night's Dream the play outside uh -huh. and I was a little fairy <laughs> oh and this is the only picture I have of me from from all those years but I do love this little picture because I do remember this moment of running and I can remember exactly where we were and that I felt like yeah that's right I'm a fairy that's right yeah I was gonna say I do I seeing that picture and the feeling that I have is like you really are you, I mean you really are a fairy I just felt like in that I really do see that in that in that picture that's yeah. what you were feeling and that's so amazing that you got to do that yeah yeah that's And many people, you know, will call me a fairy. Even people that don't know me, they'll meet me and they'll be like, you're a fairy. And I'm like, and I laugh and I'm like, how do you know? I <laughs> know. I can see it. I <laughs> know. Yeah, people say that too. They're like, I'm getting like fairy energy. And people who are not even like, and I talk to them more, they're not even into like spirituality and stuff. They just are like, I just get like fairy energy. Just like random people tell me that. And I'm like, just because I am a fairy girl. That's right. Freedom fairy. It's so perfect. It's so perfect. You so are that. Yeah. And you know, fairies love freedom. I mean, they, they, yes. They, they you know, and, and then they can be a little feisty at times and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about the fairies for a minute, just while we're here. Um, I wanted to ask you, so what were some of your earliest experiences with the fairies? Well, I, I think maybe partially because things were so troubling at home and scary, I, I was always out in nature. So I was always I was always escaping, either on my you know my bicycle or I was just running out and playing. My favorite thing to do was climbing trees. I was a big, big tree climber. I did it for many years and and always alone. I never, you know, was with anybody, but I never felt afraid. <clears throat> and, and the biggest thing I could say is that I, I just was always like, I love you trees. I love you nature. There would be the big rhubarb, you know, um, leaves that are huge and I would hide under the leaves and I would be like, I'm just a And, you know, I, I just played with nature always. So I felt the nature spirits without necessarily seeing them with my physical eyes. I was with them, playing with them, felt the safest there than anywhere was out yeah. in nature. And then as I got a little bit older, I can remember particularly one day very much I had bicycled out to the haystacks far away and I climbed up on the haystack and I was sitting on the haystack looking out over all the land and Cambridge is very beautiful. It's very sort of soft rolling hills and it's gorgeous. And I was looking over the land and I suddenly sort of had a memory or a knowing. And I said to myself, oh, I'm, I'm a queen of the fairies. 
And my job is to take care of the planet. My job is to take care of you, Mother Earth, Gaia. I didn't know the name Gaia at the time, but you know, and uh, and that's really been, I mean, that that never left me. So that, that's been kind of my, my core North Star, shall we say, is, is because I'm always teaching about health and nature and being in harmony with nature. Because as I saw us as humans hurting our planet, it was very painful for me because I feel things. I would hear trees scream when they were shut, when they were cut down. I would hear it before even turning a corner and seeing the tree. I'd, feel, I'd hear the screaming and I'd be like, oh my God, what happened, what happened? And then I turn a corner, tree would be cut down, freshly cut. And I just sit there and cry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And so I remember thinking, well, I'll be an environmentalist but then I thought, well, how do we really take care of our planet? It's really about humanity's consciousness. It's really about mm-hmm. us because we're the ones destroying it. So, so if I could help with consciousness and the great awakening of consciousness on the planet, we will not harm our home. Yeah. We will not harm our mother. And so that's the route I took versus becoming an environmentalist. My gosh, that's so beautiful. I love it. You know, Julie, when you said, when you had that moment where you thought, I'm the queen of the fairies, you know, that exact phrase, um, when I first started to be aware of my own fairy spirit, I, a psychic actually told me, you should look up, um, he specifically said, Lilith, queen of the fairies and of course I looked it up I couldn't find exactly that that spirit but of course you know there's all kinds of myths and stuff about Lilith you know the asteroid and the you know in astrology and in the bible and stuff but um it's just just so cool that you said queen of the fairies because that's exactly what that psychic told me to look up so I'm just I'm just like (laughs) I love that because because the truth is that there's room for many of us to be the queen of the fairies right it doesn't mean just one person holds that template many people can hold that template or king of the fairies too Mm. and so you know I if I'm like with someone like you know especially with like a lover I'll say you need to know I I am a queen I'm the queen of the fairies and they're like got it you know don't mess with the queen of the fairies and she's loving and abundant and joyful and sensual and sexual and everything else but it's kind of like if I'm close enough to them I I will absolutely let them know and usually they do know they this yeah I, I know I know that so it, it's a really big thing. And for me, with Midsummer Night's Dream, of course, uh, you know, Titania mm-hmm. was, you know, yeah. Midsummer Night's Dream. So she's one of the Queen of the Fairies. And and actually, in the old stories and the legends, which we call them myths, but, you know, what is a myth, really? Is it the truth or what? But, you know, there's a lot of stories that the fairies actually were were gods and goddesses. And they were huge, not little diminished, you know, we d- diminish many things because we diminish what we don't understand and and we diminish what we think is maybe too powerful so we make it little Um, and not to say there aren't little fairies because there are but it's like the the Celts are often considered hybrids you know genetically genetically hybrids of fairy the goddess and god fairy energy of the titans that were huge and you know magnificent Mm. and, and then part human 
And so when I started reading all about that, I was like, oh, now that really makes sense because there's something in me that is like a tuning fork that knows this. This isn't just a fantasy of right. mind. This is a knowing, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, when I do lose confidence and everything, I I settle in and go, you know, I'm the queen of the fairies or a queen of the fairies, and what would she, what would she do right now? You know, what would she be doing? And that oh helps my gosh. Come back. Oh my gosh! Do you do you just like quickly? Do you just have any like books that you recommend? Um, to learn more about about that, I now with Google and, and all that, I of course study online a lot. Uh, uh-huh. I have a lot of dreams too. I'm a very rich dreamer, so I, I study a lot online. But I mean, I've I've had all kinds of books on fairies. Um, one of the one of the books is called Fairies at Work and Play. It's a little book, and it was written by a psychic. And when I was in the Isle of Man at one time on my motorbike, I went for a, a holiday there by myself just to go up in the in the hills. I felt the fairies there stronger than I'd ever felt them anywhere. It was like they were just everywhere. And wow. and I had some experiences there, some where the veils between the worlds were really, you know, taken away and I saw things. It, it was incredible, you know. And so I, I I took that very very much to heart and it was just like, you know, the fairies really are here and Yeah. And I've always had a good relationship with fairies because, and the elementals in general, because mm-hmm. you know there are elves. I have a wonderful elf and friend. I just saw her the other day. She's a complete elf. I mean, the first time I saw her, I was like, "You're you're an elf." I mean, do you know you're an elf? And she's like, "Yeah, actually, I do." Oh, like, you are, and you know, and of course there are there are other you know there are gnomes you know like in Snow White and so forth. Um, when I first saw Eckhart Tolle, I was like. Um, uh, oh, I, I, it was so funny. I was like, Eckhart Tolle, you're a gnome. You've come out of the forest of Germany to teach us, you know. It was so funny. So, And what did he say? What was his reaction? Oh, I didn't say it to him. I just thought oh. it. You know, I saw him on a thing and I was like, oh my gosh, he's absolutely a gnome. You know what's so funny, Julie, that you say that? Ever since I, because, you know, I've been aware of Eckhart Tolle for a very long time. And every time I saw his name, I thought it was like a mystical creature. I don't know why, maybe because I was, maybe we're on the same wavelength or seeing the same thing, or maybe because Lord of the Rings was very popular. And for some reason, I thought he was like a, one of those creatures, but I know he's an author, but I just, when I saw the name, I was like, I just had that elf or gnome kind of imagery so that is so cool that we were th- and this is a this is like the first time i'm talking about it with anyone so that's very cool <laughs> you can spot, like super fun you can spot like and you know and i you know we're made of everything we're made of stardust right we're made of heaven and earth we're made of sun and earth so we're made of many things so i don't like to sort of limit us in any way yeah. we're spiritual we're connected to everything we are everything um, but you can you can tell the elementals pretty fast, and and some of the other beings too that come from other planetary star systems and stuff. It's really fun, it's super fun. But but I've always gotten on really well with the with the fairy kingdom, and I think it's because I've always treated them with great respect, with great respect. 
Yeah. And I know my uncle told me a story of, of the Isle of Man, actually, and of a bridge there that was called the Ferry Bridge. And he said when he was in the army, they were stationed there and they laughed because there was a thing you should offer something to the fairies before you cross the bridge. And and they were all soldiers, 19 years old or whatever, and they, and they were laughing, oh, city fairies, you know. And they, they started to cross the bridge and they got a flat tire. <laughs> and then they went over and then they got a second flat tire. And he said, from that point on, anytime they crossed that bridge, they were like very punctilious. They were like, Okay, fairies, I'll give you an offering, a little bit of chocolate, whatever it is, I don't know, you know, flowers, I don't know what they offered. And you you do, one needs to treat the fairy kingdom with, with a great deal of love and respect because yes. they're here keeping all of Gaia flourishing mm-hmm. for our benefit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great story. Yes, yes, oh my gosh, that's so, I, I mean... I was gonna, one of my questions was like, if you've had any negative experiences with the fairies, because I know we both said, we both, you know, kind of said, you know, that we know fairy spirits can be a little bit feisty. Um, So that's a very cool story right there. I think I think if they know that they're seen and respected and loved, they they don't usually, they don't mess with us. I can tell you though, not with a fear, but I remember staying with my best friend one time. It was a long time ago now. And <clears throat> and I can remember because she didn't have a spare bedroom. And I'd known her from school. You know, we were friends when we were 11 in, in the Royal Ballet School. So she said, well, you know, I've got this big king bed. You can sort of sleep in there. And I was like, oh, all right, then, you know, I'll do that. So I, so I was asleep and she was, she was in another room. And I, I was going to fall asleep and I saw a... A gargoyle, a demon, sitting on the end of the bed, and I said, "You get out of here. You have no right to be here. You get away. You go." If, because there's always this thing: if you're not of the light, be gone, be gone. And when you right. do say that, you say it with real command. If yeah. you're not of the light, go. And it did. It, it left. And I thought, oh, that was being here around my friend Hetty, you know, just being Mm. around for a while. Anyway, I fell asleep. She came, fell asleep. In the morning, she said, Julie, when I came in the room last night and you were already asleep, she said, I saw fairies all around you. What? And I was like, wow, maybe the fairies helped me get rid of this really dark, nasty, energy so everything's energy right so yeah. that was that was a story where you know and I have had a, a few stories where I've had to really say go you know to, yeah just to, to dark spirits but never the fairies wow that's so, so cool that's so cool so I guess I mean we've been talking about fairies for a while but like I know a lot of people um maybe who aren't so into into fairy magic and the fairy spirit maybe they're still kind of confused about like what what are fairies you know what's that about so I mean we've been talking about it for a while but how would you describe fairies to somebody fairies fairy spirits they are the guardians of Gaia they are um, here to help everything grow and protect Gaia the mother goddess of this planet and they, they are very joyful 
they love to celebrate. So they love music and dance. They really rise to that. So midsummer, you know, midsummer time, they, they are. Uh, in fact, I've heard the, their music. One time they allowed me to kind of come and peer in and I saw them and, they, I, and I heard the music and it was so beautiful and so magical. I was like, oh my gosh. So <clears throat> they're, they're very critical to the well-being of, our, of nature. And so that's really where they're focused is in is in nature. You know, they're not so much focused off planet. They're focused mm-hmm. here on this planet to to help make sure everything is in balance. So, you know, Walt Disney knew about the power of elementals. So, you know, Fantasia is is an amazing amazing film where and and many of his films he really brought out the connection with nature you know cinderella and nature and you know and snow white and nature and the birds and the and the fairy kingdom and the fairy godmother right the fairy godmother um i did a class i did a a workshop on angels and fairies a long time ago in maui and a woman young woman from uh, ireland was there and she walked down the hallway and she said oh my gosh you're the fairy godmother i can see you i can see your wand i can see everything I was just like, I just started laughing. I thought that was the sweetest thing because often in my business, I've been called a fairy godmother, helping people thrive, you know, in business. So it was just lovely that she could actually see that, you know, but uh, I I totally, I totally can see that with you. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. We need to stick Um, together. Us fairies, you need to stick together. Yes. Yeah. I was just thinking like, when you were talking, I was thinking like fairies kind of sound like Virgos. <laughs> Are you a Virgo? You know? I'm Virgo rising, but I you're a Virgo, right? I am a Virgo sun. Yeah, <laughs> September, yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, yes. I mean, they are the they are the mother goddess energy, the, the Virgo and energy. You know, as she's known to be that she is Gaia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um. So let's kind of. T- go back a little bit to I guess in a way to um, I want to talk about about macrobiotics because that's really how I found you that's really um, you know years ago when I was first getting into macrobiotics I was trying to find more people who knew about it because just talking in my everyday life no one has heard that word Um, so I was like through, through my boyfriend who, who introduced me to the lifestyle, I was searching, like, who are his friends that are macrobiotic? And so I was trying to connect with them. And then who are friends with those friends? So that's kind of how I started. We, we became friends on Facebook, but um, I never talked to you. I just saw your post and I thought you were so cool. Um, <laughs> I was just shy. I, yeah, I was just shy. And then, um, and then when I heard you uh, speak... Um, on Joe Wax- Waxman's podcast or um, YouTube video, um, and I saw you had commented. I after I did an interview with him, you wrote a comment there, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, Julie Tara, she she's interested in me." And so that's how we got connected. But um, just tell just tell everyone listening, how did you get into macrobiotics? I was really guided to it. When I left ballet, Dutch National Ballet from Amsterdam, I went back to London and I didn't know what I was going to do because like that moment with you, and it's like, you know what you know, I knew how to dance, but now what? I'm told my life's about healing. 
and I found myself guided really I, I would just say wandering one day down old street and I saw this big big old Victorian schoolhouse and I was like I wonder what that is and there was a, a poster saying Sufi dancing and I was like that's that's really lovely because that brings spirituality and dance together I'd like to learn about that so I walked in and when I walked in I saw through the hallway there was a door open and there were all the children playing all the children it was a play group right preschool and these kids honestly Michelle they were filled with light they were just full of light and I was like those children are angelic what is going on with those children if I ever have a child I I want a child to look and feel and be like that they were laughing they were happy there was no fighting <clears throat> and it turned out it was the macrobiotic preschool so I I literally went up to um the lady and I said I think I'd like to work here and she said, oh, there's no, there's no job right now. And I said, well, here's my name. It was Julie Towers at the time, not Tara at the time. Okay. I said, here's my name. Here's my uh, phone. I'd like to work here. I think I'm supposed to work here. And, um, and then I left. And I went on that trip to the Isle of Man where the veils were taken away and all these miraculous things happened that we'll talk about some other time. And, uh, <clears throat> and literally I came back and... It turned out that the woman who was the receptionist had unexpectedly left and could I be the receptionist? And I said, yes, sure, I can do that. And then I started studying and it was the Macrobiotic Center, the Community Health Foundation, CHF, the Macrobiotic Center. We had a Cushy Institute there. We had three levels. And my future husband, Bill Tara, was running the center. He founded it. He started it. He was running the Cushy Institute. He was um, one of Misha Cushy's sort of right-hand men, if you will. Yeah. And so I studied all three levels and plus I was doing natural dance at that time, which was Anna Halprin's work. So I was healing my relationship with dance through natural dance. I was also doing psychotherapy, uh, which was beautiful. It was um, Asagioli's work, which is psychosynthesis. And that was in the same building. Um, and so I was really healing my issues with my mom and, and, and all of that. So it was a time of huge growth and I just loved it. And I, I loved the classes and I was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. You know, trying to understand the universe and how does it work and what are the laws of the universe and, and why are things the way they are and how do we really fundamentally live in harmony with nature, you know, and be healthy on all levels. And so, yeah, I studied for a long time and and then, you know, then I took a little hiatus and joined the circus and that was a whole other story in Mexico. And then when I came back, I, I ended up marrying Bill and then we had three children and then we uh, started a healing center here in Colorado, which is why I'm in Colorado, is because we came to Colorado and started a macrobiotic uh, healing center here called the Nova Institute. Wow. Yeah. So amazing. So amazing. So tell us a little bit about um, the Nova Institute. That sounds really cool. And I wish I could have gone, <laughs> you know, you if I was around. <laughs> you would have totally loved it, Michelle. It's any fairy word because it was out in the mountains by Estes Park, in, you know, outside of Estes Park near the Rocky Mountain Park. So it was 
it, most beautiful landscape ever. I mean, it's why I'm still here. You know, I love it here so much. The nature, it's wild, it's beautiful. We have mountain lions and bears and bobcats and, you know, mountain bluebirds. And I mean, it's magical. It is a magical place. And so we had 15 acres of land. We had all these cabins. Uh, we lived in a little A-frame cabin at the top. We had a conference center that was stunningly beautiful. And we had a restaurant, five-star organic food, basically macrobiotic restaurant. <clears throat> it was wide because we needed to appeal to the public as well, you know. So it was, uh, but it was all everything natural and organic, and it was it was fantastic. In fact, the the chef Carlos Ferrero, who was very talented, I just met him the other day for the first time in many many years. Um, he was just a very gifted macrobiotic chef and is still an incredible chef. So now my part there was I decided because there were four of us that started it, myself, my husband and another couple. And I said, well, I would like to direct the arts and healing program. So I was involved with the arts and healing plus yoga. So I was teaching yoga in the early mornings. So beautiful. And then I brought in different artists, musicians, artists. And then I would do five rhythms dance workshops. And we would teach about healing through the arts, how arts, wow. arts can be so incredibly healing. Because in macrobiotics for women, because yeah. it was based on a Japanese patriarchal design shall we say mm -hmm. the women were either considered your really your 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 appropriate role is to be a cooking teacher you know or uh you know to be a sexual partner and or to be a mother you know so th those mm -hmm. are kind of the roles that the women were kind of sort of allowed to fit into really and I just uh wasn't interested in being a cooking teacher I love macrobiotic food and I'm happy to cook it but I didn't I didn't want to be a cooking teacher I was like that's not my thing it's yeah. just not my thing and I told Bill that right away before we got married I was like you know I don't know if I can marry because I'm not a macrobiotic cooking teacher yeah because you know, what I loved was the, was the lectures on the on the mm -hmm. you know how the universe worked and everything but they were all taught by the men so it was very separated the roles were separated out and it was pretty misogynistic in a way but that's okay because it was based on i understand why it was based on this japanese uh way of being way of living um so you know of course i you know had three children with him and was loved mothering and everything but um so my role i felt was more to do with how can i bring the healing with the arts and not to say it, you know, diet isn't critical and nature's critical. So that's that's kind of how I worked there. And it, and it was a very, very beautiful experience for all of us. And then, and then we had to close it because we just didn't have the internet. We didn't have the ability to reach far and wide quickly enough to market effectively enough to get enough people coming consistently, especially in the winter months. Yeah, this yeah. park closes down in the winter, really. And so uh, it was just too difficult for us to sustain. So it was a wonderful dream, but we were undercapitalized and our overhead was enormous and we just we just couldn't make it. And, and so we just had to call it a day and close it down. Yeah. That's so I mean, I think that's really amazing how you um, like one you did macrobiotics in a different way and especially bringing in dance and you know I I'm really interested that's still kind of something I want to do is incorporate 
healing and dance because I mean dance just because you love it is healing just on its own you know but like knowing the macrobiotic principles and like directing it more specifically for healing I think that's something like I would really like to get into more so I I really wish I could have been there and maybe studied with you and like you know that sounds so amazing you would have loved it Michelle totally would have loved it and you know I worked with the Gabrielle Roth five rhythms dance so that's a very beautiful thing because you're working with these different rhythms of nature mm. and you're expressing all the rhythms and you see where you're very comfortable in a rhythm and where you're very uncomfortable in a rhythm and you can break through blocks and barriers so it is tremendously healing yeah I yeah I need to look into that because I never heard of that before it sounds very cool there's a great book she wrote called maps of an urban shaman okay and she talks about her experience with dance traditional modern i think she was into modern originally and then how she got injured and then how she formed the five rhythms dance and it's it's fabulous so i i was super happy doing those things i felt like okay this is my niche this is what i feel i can really where where i can contribute the best you know and plus we had cooking teachers so we didn't need more of those you know right so the five rhythms dance did that I mean, now my, my macrobiotic brain is like, is that, did you find any connection with the five transformations of energy or, I mean, I'm sure it was thought of separately, but. Yeah. I mean, there, there def, def, definitely there are. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, you know, the st- stillness would be like the winter, you know, like the one energy. I mean, the fire would be, you know, the chaos in five rhythms would be your know, fire, the fire, the nine and nine star keys. And, you know, so there would be, there would be connections. I didn't map it like that. Mm-hmm. That's a really good idea. You and I could spend some time working on that. that oh my gosh. That'd be so cool. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. I like okay. that. I like that too. Um, so what, what was, I guess, the best thing that you got out of macrobiotics? Oh, I think it's a, it's a never ending journey. I actually just watched that film the other night. I love that film. It's the most powerful film, even though it's a children's film, never ending journey, but it is, it's a journey of curiosity. It really awoke I, maybe I was always curious, but it awoke an infinite curiosity in me that never gets tired of learning. I just studied a whole weekend of Bruce Lipton this last weekend on epigenetics and, you know, the spiral of history and the fact that everything moves in spirals. And there's so much macrobiotics has given me. I mean, I'm so grateful, so grateful because it, it was like finally people were talking about things that I really, really cared about you know, and, and, and that made sense. It just made sense. Yeah. You know, and just simple things like I had suffered from headaches from when I was even in the Royal Ballet School in the boarding school. And I didn't know, but I had an, a certain addiction to cheese. And apparently when you have real problems with your mother, uh, yeah. macrobiotics, right? You have problems with your mother, you try to heal and you're healing, trying to heal with dairy food. And so I was, yes. I was, I used to have all the girls, we'd go on midnight feasts and we'd break all the rules and we'd go to the kitchen in the boarding school in the White Lodge and I'd say, let's, you know, and we always wanted to get, I wanted to get cheese. I wanted to eat cheese. So I would get these headaches. And I remember Bill, you know, my future husband there saying, first counseling session we ever had, well, if you stop eating dairy food, particularly cheese, you'll stop having headaches. And I was like, 
I'm not going to stop eating dairy, but I'm okay. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, I love yeah. it because I was addicted. It's actually very addictive, right? The yeah. casein in it and so forth. And he was absolutely right. You know, stopped eating dairy food, stopped eating cheese, headaches disappeared. And I was like, that's a miracle. That's wonderful. What else have we got going on here? You know, so that was a very direct experience. And I think when you have direct experiences like that, you know, you pay attention. And yeah. um, so even though I wasn't so interested in the food per se, I'd never really ate a bad diet, but I just had this particular one addiction. And of course it was causing all kinds of problems. So I, I use the macrobiotic framework probably quite unconsciously about many, many things in life, you know, and I think everything does go in cycles and we go through seasons and it, it really connected me deeper with nature and how we need to be in harmony with nature. This is the fundamental thing that I so love to, to help people with and, and myself included, you know, so, and, and, you know, the thing that bonded us was the vision of one peaceful world. Yeah. If we changed our, I mean, it gives me goosebumps just to even say that, you know, it just, my whole body just went, you know, vibrationally like, because one peaceful world, who doesn't want that? And if we created the same blood together, and if we ate harmoniously, harmonious foods and not the extremes, we would be calm, we would be peaceful, we'd be happier. And isn't that all that I ever wanted for my mother? to be happy, to be peaceful yeah. in her spirit. Here's all I ever wanted was for her to be happy. So it connected back to then and, and you know, and also realizing that, you know, my mother always had tummy ache. She always said, I have tummy ache, I have tummy ache. And I'd be like, oh, now I would say, you know, just say like with mental illness, well, let's, let's look at the gut. Let's look at that second brain. What's happening here? Do you have tummy aches? If you have tummy aches, you might be eating things that aren't really helping you. And so let's really look at that and let's fix the gut and the belly. And then that will help fix the brain, the second brain, because, they, you know, really they call the gut the second brain, but actually it's the first brain. It's more powerful than this mm. brain. So really it's the first brain. So that's just a whole thing on mental illness to go back to that for a second just you know wow if you change what you're ingesting if you change all that you can change the mental issues so quickly yeah and become peaceful and harm in harmony it's all about music really it's all harmonies so yeah that that is something i i try to um convey to people especially more people come to me because of mental illness. Um, I think, you know, just you probably already understand, Julie, that it's like whatever you struggled with, it's like that's who is going to come to you, like whatever. So I just, and that's what I try to help people understand when I talk about changing your eating for your mental health. Because I know a lot of people still see a disconnect. And I saw it for a very long time. I was like, who cares what you eat? Mental illness, no connection. <laughs> I was like, but it's like how I explain, I try to explain it to them is like, it's all, just think about how long you've been trying to fix this through talking, through medication, through whatever else, you know, how much mental capacity it takes to like, okay, listen to my therapist. They're telling me these coping skills and let's talk about my childhood trauma. And okay, it's so difficult to change 
your emotions and your mental state by just doing like logically thinking and like it's so difficult it's so so difficult I mean I I know because I did it and it took a very long time for me to get this much better that way and when I changed my eating because I just thought you know it just sounded interesting to me you know talking about vibration and I never heard food being talked about in that way it sounded very interesting to me and I just thought why not try it let's see what happens and I didn't make that big of a change I didn't cancel out any food I just ate more whole grains more vegetables um within a month I felt a huge shift in my in my just like standard mental um state and that I was like what how come one month of just eating a little bit more whole grains and vegetables. How come I this huge shift happened that's like more incredible to me than all these years in therapy, all these years taking medication and only one month of changing my eating and I didn't even really change it that much. I was like something's going on. So it's like I just want to exactly what you said. It's like when we heal our stomach or you know our intestines that's the first brain because from there everything else that you have to consciously think about and work through it's so much easier because you already like eliminate a lot of problems just by <laughs> by eating better you know all this mental anguish is already diminished so it's easier to get through absolutely absolutely and because you're cleansing the blood and the blood is fueling the brain the blood is fueling the nervous system you know and so you start cleaning the blood it's profound what can happen and when you start taking away some of the extremes on a consistent basis even if you do it occasionally you know it's you can really come to a to a peaceful state um and the and the mind will will just calm it's like calming a, an ocean that's just in full on hurricane mode and it's calming it right down so that it's peaceful like glass and you know i mean prayer meditation are very powerful i mean there are many many things that can help with that yeah. but your daily habits of of what you ingest it's it's huge you know not to mention quantity it's not just quality it's it's quantity so many people just overeat and it's so so unnecessary you know the the, the body doesn't need that much fuel mm-hmm. to, to go about its day it really doesn't mm-hmm. it just needs the right fuel yeah and there are many other sources of food other than physical food as well yeah so love love is a underrated food <laughs> it's the i think it's the connecting force of the entire universe and yes. multiverse and love is the 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 most boy i mean you know without love what where would we be you know in fact one of the van gogh um well, I was just at the exhibit on Sunday or yeah Sunday afternoon and one of the I wrote down a lot of his quotes and took photos and then wrote them down later in my journal and one of them is just I will not live without love you know and you know and again you know he was considered mentally ill and and maybe he was he probably got lead poisoning from the paints but he was a mystic you know and mystics are often considered mentally ill Rumi yeah you know many because they're on fire with devotion they're on fire with love what is yes. devotion it's love whether you say it's my love of god my love of nature my love of my friend here my love of my lover you know what it's like 
it's love and when it fills us to the brim it 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 can go into ecstasy and ecstasy can look a lot like mental illness yeah so then what do we do we, you know numb numb everybody down dumb everybody down you know stop that put electrical shock treatments so that you never get that place of ecstasy again how incredibly sad is that you know and some people may need some medication for a while that's okay yeah. but change the other things and then see if you can wean off you know and maybe yeah. some people never can you know wean off the meds you know yeah it's not an absolute yeah. but i think there's so much we can do to to come back into harmony makes me want to cry actually it just makes me want to cry that so many people don't know and just go and resort to a drug and then they could be on that for the rest of their life you know that's hard that's harsh and it it really does um dull you it really does and i mean i've experienced it you've you've seen it and even i have a friend who um prescribes medication and she even talks about that. She's one of the I think one of the trailblazers in um psychiatry because she doesn't just you know automatically prescribe things, you know. She actually takes the time and she's trying to look at all the life factors and I think that is a really good direction for you know the future of you know that industry and i'm really thankful that um i don't know i i'm sure in part you know she she's been inspired by me in some way <laughs> and i'm and i'm i'm thankful that um you know she's doing that i'm really thankful that she's doing that it's wonderful yeah you inspire many Aww. you are you are a little inspirational shooting star Thank you Julie. Thank you so much. That's all. That's all I hope to be in this world. <laughs> well, that's not all, but that's a big thing I hope to be. Yeah. Um- this podcast is made possible in part by the patrons over on patreon.com/the_freedom underscore fairy where you can also sign up and become a supporter to get a personalized reading from me visit my etsy shop not your average card you can click the link in the description of this episode if you like what i have to share please rate five stars and subscribe to this podcast thank you so much for listening your ears and your attention are appreciated Think differently and live peacefully.